It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to Premier League All Access with me, Sam Matterface, and alongside me, as ever, is TalkSport's Chief Football Correspondent, Alex Crook. And we're joined by the former Chelsea and West Ham defender, Scott Minto. Here's what's coming up on the show. He's thrown away seven goals in the Champions League. Seven errors he's made leading directly to goals. So basically, when Manchester United crash out of the Champions League, it's Anana's fault. I'm calling it now. I think United will beat Bayern. There you go. You can clip this up and put it on social media. I think United beat Bayern. They end up in the Europa League. And that's that's the competition they belong in. And then the other game that they lost was at home to Brighton, who may well be end up playing in the Champions League next season. I mean, the idea that this guy should be is under pressure is absolute baloney. This is the biggest test for Ange Ball, isn't it? A lot of players out at the Etihad against the best team in the world. Good luck with that one. Oh, what a week it has been. Um, uh, I was in Paris for Newcastle against uh, Paris Saint-Germain and they were so close to winning and it was heartbreaking. And, well, VAR, that's all I can say. Uh, Manchester United had no such luck. In fact, they got helped out by VAR and a very, very tight offside. It could have been even worse for Eric Ten Hag and uh, Andre Anana and associated members of that team. Uh, listen, Manchester United, if they're nothing else, they're Blimmin' entertaining, aren't they, Alex? <laughs> yeah, do you know what? I, I came away from that game thinking that. At least it's not dull. But I, I'd prefer a 1-0 a win, to be honest. I mean, it's incredible that they put themselves in the situation they have in that group. When you look at every game, really, maybe bar Bayern away when the scoreline flattered them. They've been in a position to win every game and they've thrown away so many points, particularly away from home. It's unforgivable to be 2-0 up and 3-1 up at Galatasaray and not win the game. And then you look at Anana, and I think his recent form has been okay. He's thrown away seven goals in the Champions League, seven errors he's made leading directly to goals. So basically, when Manchester United crash out of the Champions League, it's Anana's fault. A little bit of finger pointing there, Scott. I don't know if I like that, really, to be honest with you. Just pinpointing it on one player, do you? I've done about a little bit of finger pointing there, Sam. I think it was all the whole hands and all 10 fingers, you know, pointing there. Yes, you, it's you. (laughs) And look, and I mean, I can remember the Copenhagen game where where Diego Dalo, you know, sort of switched off, which let them back in. I think it's slightly unfair to, to pinpoint one person, but only slightly because, you know, United can't keep doing what they did. You know, they, they were in control in Copenhagen. We know what happened with Marcus Rashford. Uh, went up again, still didn't find a way to to win that game. They've obviously done what they did in Galatasaray. And it's a massive problem because from a, from a mental point of view as a player, 
if you know you go one up and almost you know you can see the game out, then and the opposition know that as well. That that quite often happens. Even if they go two up now, United, there's still no way of knowing that they're going to go and see the game. So I think just from a psychologically psychological point of view, during matches and going forward, even if they start off well, players and opposition players will be thinking, we can still beat this team. Indeed. Um, it was a, a busy week in uh, Europe this week. Congratulations to uh, all of the teams that got through. Um, how was your West Ham game, uh, Crookie? Did you enjoy that? <laughs> like watching paint dry. I've got to say, it was um, it was a good... It was a good barometer for the West Ham fans who say that David Moyes plays boring football because they went away from home against a team who'd never won a single European home game and they bored the pants off everybody. I felt sorry for Divine Mubama up front. Big opportunity for him getting a rare start and he just didn't get any service and they were very fortunate to win the game. But it could be quite a big goal, that one from Thomas Sochet, because it puts them top of the group ahead of their final match against Freiburg. And it means that destiny, in terms of skipping that playoff round, is in their own hands. But they didn't really deserve it. Going to be an interesting uh, Europa League after Christmas, isn't it? Brighton, they'll be through. Liverpool, they'll be through. Um, looks like we'll get West Ham in there. Um, Newcastle might end up in there as well. Um, it'd, be, it'd, be, it'd, be, it'd be brilliant, won't it? It'd be a fantastic competition. Manchester United might end up in there. <laughs> Sorry, what? what? I think, hold on, it's the 1st of December. Sorry, we're not doing Christmas jokes. Um, right, <laughs> let's uh, turn our attention uh, to uh, what's happening this weekend in the Premier League and winner starts in James's Park. It's Premier League football just the way we like it on Talk Sport. Burnley coming forward, great try! Oh, what a goal! Oh, what a goal by Jakob Brunarsson! It's a massive game. For both teams. Great ball into McBurney, comes back to Archer, and he delivers from the edge of the box. The Archer delivers the arrow. Good luck to Burnley going and spending that money, like I said, taking Sander from us. But we can't hide away from the fact of what body blow it was and when it was. As I said, we're still in the same place as them in the league. It comes to Almiron, whose shot is still, and it's stepped over the rebound by Alexander Izak. It's a terrific, magic moment in Paris. PSG erupts. The tsunami are tingling. We know the importance of this game. I don't have to communicate that to the players for sure. We're going to be motivated to give our best. What an extraordinary wow. goal from Bruno Fernandes. It's an annoying team to play against, so we have to find a way to win them. The Premier League, absolutely magnificent. Game day becomes game night once again because of the Champions League. Two sides coming off the back of defeats in uh, midweek, but it feels like Newcastle have a little bit more momentum off the back of their draw in Paris, given the circumstances around how it happened. The one thing that worries me about this game, Scott, is the injuries. There's so many of them. Mm, absolutely, and and that's that's my biggest thing. And also, well, yeah, the injuries, which which is connected to you know, it's not just they've gone to Paris. They 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 put in an absolute Trojan performance, and you know, so unlucky not to come away with all three points. That would have taken a lot out of them. And as you you mentioned on the breakfast show Friday, you know, it, it's it was 11 players, you know, 11 players, no more, no subs. Uh, but I also think the Chelsea game would have taken a lot out of them physically because that second half performance was was superb when they blew Chelsea away. Then they go again on Tuesday, obviously got Euphoria playing uh, PSG away. I think that back-to-back 
normally I'd be saying Newcastle at home against the poor United side at the moment. I, I'd, I'd guarantee you, you Newcastle win. But I actually think United, Man United, can get something out of this just because of the lack of options and the tiredness that Newcastle players have, despite being at St James's Park. I know we get a lot of uh, criticism for focusing so much on Manchester United. So I, I do... I do want to talk about them in a minute, but can we just focus on Newcastle for a little bit longer, if that's okay? Uh, because I think that the job that Eddie Howe did on Tuesday night was nothing short of absolute... In fact, the, the job that he did against Chelsea, I watched the whole game back and I thought, tactically, it was so well choreographed and so well thought out. The little triggers that they exploit, they all their, their communication is brilliant. Almiron's work ethic is superb. He's almost like the one that leads the press as soon as something happens. He's the one that goes and then everybody goes with him. It's really good the way they sometimes set up with three on the edge of the 18-yard box. They target certain weaknesses. They do their research. They really work hard to try and find those little tiny advantages in order uh, to get... Um, the maximum benefit. And that's, you know, I think he really deserves a lot of credit. You know, this is an English coach that was working, you know, at Bournemouth not so long ago in the fourth tier of the English division. And all of a sudden he's taken them all the way up to the Premier League. Never really got the credit, I don't think, that he deserved for doing that. And now he's at a massive club like Newcastle and he's doing an absolutely fantastic job. And I think that deserves a lot of praise because, you know, we're very quick to sort of finger point and say it's this person's fault, it's that person's fault, they've done this, they've done that. But when someone does a good job, we have to highlight it, I think. It's the calmness um, with which he goes about his business. As you know, this time last week, I was at the Newcastle training ground. Obviously, injuries were mounting ahead of that game against Chelsea. But Eddie and his coaching staff were, were so relaxed they know they've been dealt a rough hand, but they're certainly not complaining about it. They're still finding a way to pick up results, particularly at home. And even in the aftermath of that penalty call in Paris, which UEFA have admitted was wrong, they stood down the, the VAR the following night. Yes, he had his say, but it wasn't a Mikel Arteta-style rant. It was delivered succinctly. It was delivered with respect. And Newcastle fans absolutely adore Eddie Howe. And, and you can see why, because... I. I'm not sure he does get the credit that he deserves. Maybe it's because of the, the Saudi Arabia factor and people say it's sports washing or that they've spent hundreds of millions of pounds, which isn't actually the case. Their success has been built off clever recruitment, getting in the right characters. Look at young Tino Livramento. Anybody in the Premier League could have signed Tino Livramento when Southampton got relegated. Newcastle identified him straight away, actually got him for a lot less than Southampton were asking for at one stage. I think he is terrific. And, and he started the game actually difficult opponent uh, in midweek, but he grew into it. And I think by the end of it, he was one of their best players. Really harsh that he was the one a judge to have handled the ball. If he can stay fit, you're looking at England's next right back right there. I, I think he's brilliant, Livermento. Well, he played left back against uh, Usman Dembele. In fact, he's played left back twice in a week now. Uh, and that's the other beauty thing about him is he can he can do both sides. But he's got and another guy who's just, you know, just filling in at left back. It's no problem. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> Anyone can play there. Livermento, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but he's the way he ran across the sort of uh, the edge of the eighteen yard box, taking on four or five PSG players to to make the opportunity for Almiron, which leads to the goal, was terrific. Uh, but Usman Dembele, you never really know what he's going to do anyway. Um, Luis Enrique said in the build up to the game that he was the most destabilizing player in world football. Yeah, I, I don't know who to. Sometimes to his own teammates, sometimes to himself, sometimes to his manager, occasionally to his opponents, but. You know, I think Livermento learned very quickly. Yeah, this guy's got something, but I don't even think he knows what it is. So 
I'm just going to get on with what I need to do. And he did that brilliantly. And I thought he was really good. Um, but yeah, you're right. You know, the recruitment has been superb and Dan Ashworth probably needs a little bit of credit as well. Uh, that's something that Manchester United have really struggled with. Let's talk a little bit about them because they, again, they had problems in midweek. I think a strong Manchester United is really good for the Premier League. A strong Manchester United generates more interest in the Premier League. We know they're a huge club. But this is a, this is a team that have a lot of resource in comparison to others. Yes, they've had injuries, but they do have a lot of resource in comparison to others. They have spent a lot of money over the last few years. They bought players in like Anthony for £85 million, who, who are not really worth the money at this moment in time that, that, that they've been paid for. And I think that's, that, that's where, at the same time as you have to sit there and go, Ten Hag is working with at least one arm tied behind his back because of the way that the Glazers work. You also have to acknowledge that his involvement in the recruitment hasn't been good enough and his motivation or his organisation of the team clearly isn't either because that game in midweek against um, Galatasaray, I mean, a few people said to me that they think that United bottled it when they were 2-0 up uh, and didn't have the, the sort of fortitude to see it through. But I think one of the key issues here is the organisation. What happens when you get yourself into that situation? What's the default setting? How, where do you slip back? How do you how do you react when you have a little bit of adversity? There should be a mechanism. I mentioned about the triggers that Eddie Howe has employed with this Newcastle team. Where are those little triggers for Manchester United that set them to go back into shape? That's the big difference, I think, this season to last, is that last season, Ten Hag's in-game management was very good. That The substitutions that he made quite often would either turn a game or enable United to see out a game if it was tight. They've lost that defensive resilience. I think that will improve with Luke Shaw back in the team. I think he's made a, a massive difference anyway in terms of balance. And I don't actually think the overall Manchester United performance was that bad the other night. The fact they've gone to Galatasaray, they've scored three goals, they've scored a couple of excellent goals, particularly the, the, the McTominay goal was a really well-worked goal. Same for Garnacho. Bruno's finish is exceptional. They had chances even at 3-3 to win the game. So I actually didn't come away from that game feeling as despondent as I have at times this season. Yes, the Champions League has been chaotic. I think they're going to go out. It's going to take a miracle for them to go through. But let's be brutally honest. They're not going to win the Champions League. They may as well finish third in that group and, and have a tilt at the Europa League because they've got much more chance in that competition. I know you say, well, they might not get European football at all. I think they can beat Bayern Munich, a Bayern side who have already qualified, have got eyes on their winter break. I think there's every chance that United <laughs> win that game. That there you from? go. Where have you got that from? Well, Copenhagen got a point in Bavaria the other night. When was the last time that Bayern Munich lost lost a Champions League group game? It's it's a long time, but they've already qualified. They've got a winter break to come. Two thousand Manchester United. Manchester United got the motivation. I'm calling it now. I think United will beat Bayern. There you go. You can clip this up and put it on social media. I think United beat Bayern. They end up in the Europa League, and that's that's the competition they belong in. But recent performances have been better. 3-0 away from home against Everton. I know Simon Jordan would say, well, they're just beating the dregs of the Premier League. That is true. And the game that we're going to be at against Liverpool in a couple of weeks' time is going to be a much bigger barometer. This game against Newcastle is going to be a much bigger barometer. But in some ways, I feel they're moving in the right direction. I'm not as down about it as I was earlier in the season. Well, that's good news. I'm pleased you're a little bit happier. They haven't taken a point yet off of a team in the top half of the table, Scott. Um, and, um, I, and they're still eight ahead of Chelsea, by the way. Well done. <laughs> um, and that's your barometer, is it? Not Manchester City, 
not 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 Liverpool, not Arsenal. Your barometer is the the, the team that have, have have completely decimated their squad and and and, and inflicted self harm on themselves. Okay, fine. decimated their squad <laughs> by spending a billion quid. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Crikey, yeah. That's that that's how badly they're being run with the Glazers too. Let's let's bring this back to United. Let's bring it back to United very quickly. I want to talk to you about that performance in midweek, and and, and you know, Crooks says he's happy with the performance. We've only got a little bit more just to quickly talk with about with elements of the performance. performance. But the, yeah, okay, you didn't say that. You said the overall performance you thought was okay. I don't, and I will tell you why: because it was chaotic, and because there was no control. Manchester United in that situation where where they are, they've got themselves into a brilliant position with a couple of moments of genius, have ended up losing control, and you can't do that, can you? Look, the bottom line is we've got, is it the second worst defence uh, defensive record in the Champions League? And if you look at even in the league, the goal difference is zero. So they've scored 16 and they've conceded 16. They can score wonder goals, but defensively, as you, and you're right, Sam, this is about where it's down to the manager. And look, I like Ten Hag and I'm not in any way suggesting that he should go because, you know, how many managers are these players going to get rid of? And I think it, that there needs to be a boss and he needs time. But, he needs to sort things out quickly. And in terms of that shape, I think you're absolutely spot on. When things aren't going well, you need to know like a default, where do I need to be if things aren't quite going how we want it to, to be? And all the top teams of the past, including United, have had that. This United doesn't. OK, on to the rest of Saturday now. And shall we start with the league leaders before Perry Groves tweets us? Yes, Perry Groves not happy about the fact that we're not talking enough about Arsenal because um, he thinks, you know, they're just going under the radar. I think that's probably a good thing. Uh, They couldn't have asked for an easier task in securing top spot in the Champions League uh, in midweek. I think you were there quicker than they were. They were very good. But then again, they were playing Lens, who actually did beat them in France. I did that game. Um, We've talked a lot about them not being as good attacking-wise as last season. But overall, are they, Scott, a more complete outfit? Yeah, I, I think they are. Uh, I, they're not as free-flowing as last season. And I saw quite a few games live working for TalkSport. And I, I felt I was coming away almost talking as if I was an Arsenal fan. I was so impressed with them. But I, I think what they are now is they're more mentally prepared for what's about to come a little bit later on down the season. So as long as they're finding ways to to win games, even if they're not playing well, and obviously midweek it was just pretty much perfect. Score lots of goals. Everyone scored lots of game, um individual goals and they keep a clean sheet as well but later on in the season when the pressure's really on again I think 12 months on I think they are in a better position I still wouldn't fancy them for the title right now I still have to say any team beats City that finishes above City will win the title although according to Perry it's both Arsenal and Liverpool finishing above uh, City but now look I, I think in terms of them as a team I just think because of mentally they're in a better place, but I still feel they need that goal scorer. Great that everyone scores a midweek. How often is that going to happen, especially in the real big games? Uh, Kai Havertz has got two goals in two games, Crook. Now, you have been <laughs> particularly critici- uh, critical of him, uh, but he's uh, he's burst into life. Um, do you think he's he's been listening to the podcast and reacted to your criticism? I'd like to think so. All Premier League players listen to this podcast, don't they? Um, burst burst into life. <laughs> uh, two in two. Yeah, maybe that's a little bit extreme. But um, he was better in, in midweek. But it's difficult to judge because Lons were Lons were so poor. I've done all three Arsenal Champions League home games, 
And what's astounded me is that the opposition have just decided to let Saka and Martinelli run riot. Like they've never seen Arsenal play before and don't realise how crucial these two guys are. So um, I think they've certainly taken advantage of that naivety. But but Scott's right. They're not as free-flowing, despite the fact they scored six goals in midweek. But what they are, in contrast to last season, and in stark contrast to what we've been saying about Manchester United, they are controlled. They've got an aura about them this season that maybe they didn't have last season. I think that's going to set them in good stead. And this is a great game for them because uh, Wolves are without Mario Lamina due to suspension. Joe Gomez is suspended. Eight Nori went off in that game against Fulham on Monday. So they couldn't have handpicked better opponents. If this was last year, Adrian Durham would be telling us how lucky Arsenal are that every time they play someone, their best players are not available. Yeah, well, they are a little bit fortunate. But I suppose the, the flip side of that, Scott, is that Wolves possibly are the unluckiest team in the mm. Premier League. Are we at that stage where they might... Play into their that might play into their hand with decisions. Is is there a way that maybe now the officials sort of react and go the other way? I don't think intentionally, but I think subconsciously that could easily happen because, again, we talk about managers who, you know, deal with things well after a game. And Eddie Howe, I thought, was nothing short of sensational. A big lesson to to Mikel Arteta to see how to to deal with things with class. Um, what do you think of how Gary reacted on Monday night? Because I thought he dealt with it very well as well because he, was, he wasn't he was angry, he wasn't stressed, he wasn't sort of in anyone's face or spitting feathers. He was very controlled and measured, but he was passionate and forthright and saying, this isn't good enough. These are the decisions that have been explained to me. They've admitted to me that they've made errors in this game. How long does this continue? What do I do? I've tried to be very well behaved. I've tried to be sort of on the level but now is it time to kick off and start causing a bit of trouble? Because actually, it's not working at this moment in time. And he's not the only one who feels like that, by the way. And I've mentioned this on the podcast. There's a lot of people in dressing rooms up and down the country that have had enough and are actually saying, now, forget all this, being polite and being nice and respectful. Mm. It's time to start calling it out. It's time to start highlighting it. It's time to put extra pressure on them to get it right. Because otherwise, nothing is going to change. Look, I, I, you know, I think Gary has dealt with it superbly well throughout the whole season because it has happened so many times. And I, I like the way he was. You're right. He was still controlled. He was still, you could see he knew what he was saying. He wasn't get over, over excited, but he did crank it up in terms of his, what he was saying in, in his vocabulary. Now, I think it's right because there's no point in going from one place to another place and doing a Mikel Arteta because then it's a bit like, oh, do you know what? He's gone. And he's still making, as he says, he's still making a name for himself. So he's still developing his reputation as a Premier League coach and a manager. But I, I think he's absolutely right to say, look, th- this cannot go on. Look, I, you know, no point in having a VAR chat here. I, I am in the minority that I am for VAR, but only when the referee wants it. Don't VAR, please do not get involved. Um, but I just think in terms of Gary, I think he's he's absolutely spot on. He's taken it up another level, not threatening, but saying, look, we might have to go down a different route. And I think subconsciously they might get a few more decisions going forward. We'll have to wait and see. Um, I think one of the other problems that they've had is they haven't scored enough goals and they rely heavily on Huang to get them for them. Um, I was at the game on uh, Monday night. It was a brilliant game of football. It finished 3-2 to Fulham. And, uh, you know, it was a big decision at the end, which cost Wolverhampton Wanderers. But they, you know, they at times played well in that game. They were probably arguably narrowly the better side, I think, over over the piece. Although 
Fulham will, will argue that they deserved at least a point. I think that's probably fair. Um, in terms of what they hope to achieve over the course of the season, I don't think there'll be any in any danger um, in terms of relegation, Brook. But if you add up the points that they would have got if the interventions hadn't happened or should have happened when they when they could have done, then they would be in a much more comfortable position. They'd be well into the top half of the table. Well, they'd be unbeaten in in eight, wouldn't they? Because the two defeats they've suffered, um, Sheffield United and this one against Fulham, both very dubious penalty awards. I felt so sorry for Wolves and, and for Gary O'Neill on Monday night. I've got to say, I commentated the game as well for, for TalkSport International and it was, it was a much better game than anybody anticipated and Wolves deserve credit for that. But you just can't legislate for the number of bad calls that have gone against them. And they're starting now, if you look at the Wolves fans' reaction on social media, they're starting to believe there is a conspiracy. I can't see that, that there's a conspiracy against one particular football club. I just think they've been really, really unlucky. But I think that game just encapsulated where we're at with VAR. The on-field referee was scared of his own shadow, um, scared to take ownership of the match. And Stuart Atwell on VAR just couldn't wait to get involved. And this is not what the technology was promised. This is this is not what we were told when it was brought in. And Howard Webb has got a massive job on his hand now to restore the faith of the fans, restore the faith of the players, restore the faith of the managers, and restore the faith of us in the media, Sam, because you've been a massive advocate of VAR, but even you're sick to the back teeth of it now. I wouldn't say I was a, a, a massive advocate is probably wrong. I would say I was an advocate for it and I spent a lot of time, once I knew it was coming in, spent a lot of time doing diligence and learning about it. And I was lucky enough to do the first ever international game with VAR as a trial. Uh, and I was commentating on that. So I had a lot of experience with it. I've spent a lot of time. I did the Confederations Cup 2017. Same thing. I did the tests. I've done the tests. So because I did the tests, I sort of, I understood it a little bit more and I've seen how it worked over a period of time. I think it's worked so much better in other arenas than it has done in the Premier League. Um, I, I think, obviously, when you go back and look at what's happened this midweek, I think we're seeing, again, that the problem here is not necessarily VAR. It's the interpretation of certain laws of the game. You know, the handball law is the one that is causing a lot of consternation. The offside law is the one that is causing a lot of consternation. Those are the two that I think if you... If you tidy those two up, you'll have a lot less, um, a lot less sort of anger and sort of kick off about decisions because they need to be more simple for people to understand, especially the handball one. I mean, stop giving penalties for pe- hitting people in the hand. The issue you've got, and I think this is a longer, wider conversation, boring for most people, and I'm sorry about it. But if you work and live and watch football in Spain or Italy, there is a much lower tolerance threshold for fouls, for red cards, for penalties and for handball. What the law is trying to do is bring a league like the Premier League where we're a lot more tolerant and we're a lot more robust and we allow a lot more to go, believe it or not, closer towards those continental leagues. But our fans don't want that. Our media don't want that. Our managers don't want that. And it's it's almost a little bit like we want to do it our way, but everybody else has gone a completely different way now. You know, in Spain last year, there was, if you look at the number of red cards in Spain last year and compare it to the number of the Premier League, it was ridiculous. Now, they've tried to come closer to us. We've tried to go closer to them because 
that they're the two leading leagues and they should be similar in terms of the way that they're officiated. But they are not. And until we get that situation under control, then we're, we're, in, a, we're, we're in a very difficult position because there's, there's, it's almost like one rule applies here and one rule applies over there. Sam, I, I think we need to do a special podcast, a VAR podcast, and, and I'll, I'll try and just sort of finish it off here. The bottom line is that one in Newcastle, UEFA did what they did with the VAR. So that to me tells me that in any country within Europe, that was seen as a wrong decision, but it needs to get... I, I a, agree a with you, but, but it's more likely to be given in Europe than it would be anywhere else because that is the kind of thing, those little... Look, go back to the Champions League final of 2019 and that handball in the Liverpool-Tottenham game in the first few minutes of the game. Would that have been given in the Premier League? Absolutely no chance. Yeah, I mean, I, I spoke to someone who works in Spain and, and they still think that La Liga wouldn't have given that one that, that Newcastle was given against. So again, it's interpretation. Just going back to Gary O'Neill, the biggest compliment I can give him is don't forget when he first came in, even Wolves fans weren't having him. And despite the, what, six, seven points that they could have got with his bad decisions, no one's talking about, about them going down. And I think that's a massive compliment to him. No one's talking about Nottingham Forest going down either. They play Everton on Saturday night at 5.30. Um, Steve Cooper's situation, it was interesting, wasn't it? Because as soon as there were stories that came out about the possibility of uh, Nottingham Forest pulling the trigger on him again, because every time something goes against them, there's always stories that he's going to get replaced. Um, Crystal Palace pop up and, and there's a suggestion from someone that maybe he's interesting them. I mean, it, it all sounds to me like a lot of political game playing, really. Yeah, although I've spoken to people close to Forrest and, and, and they've they've told me it's correct to say that he's under a little bit of pressure uh, again. One win in nine, I think, since that victory at Stamford Bridge, actually, um, when they beat Chelsea and you thought maybe this, this was a different Forest this season because obviously away from home they struggled last year. We know the owner is unpredictable. We know they've invested heavily in recent transfer windows and, and perhaps he's demanding more. I do think it's a big game for Steve Cooper against Everton this weekend, particularly at home. I think if they were to lose that, then the pressure will intensify. And we know that Crystal Palace a long time admirers because he was close to getting the job before. Steve Parrish has tracked his progress. And I think actually it's, it's credit to Cooper that if he does suddenly become available on the open market, not just Palace, but maybe West Ham as well, with David Moyes' contract coming to an end at the end of the season, we'll be casting admiring glances over his direction. I think he's a good coach, Steve Cooper, but I do think his reaction after the Brighton game showed that he's feeling the pressure and probably is frustrated that every time his team goes for a bad patch, suddenly his, his job credentials are being questioned. Well, it's ridiculous, Scott, isn't it? Let's, let's be clear. This is just absolutely thick, isn't it? They've got 13 points from 13 games. They're Nottingham Forest. They're not in relegation danger. They've lost four games since that game against Chelsea, which they won away from home. Those four games that they've lost are Manchester City away, right? Anyone complaining about that? No. They've lost Liverpool away. Anyone complaining about that? No. They've lost West Ham United away. You know what? It's 3 2. It was a bit of a ding dong. And yeah, okay, fair enough. They've lost the game. But it's West Ham. West Ham just won the Europa Conference League, for Christ's sakes. And then the other game that they lost was at home to Brighton, who may well be end up playing in the Champions League next season. I mean, the idea that this guy should be is under pressure is absolute baloney. Absolutely. And as Crookie mentioned, they went to Stamford Bridge, got the win. We were at the first game of the season at Arsenal, weren't we? They had the most horrendous, especially away fixture list that you could almost wish upon anybody. 
uh, and you wouldn't on your on your worst enemy. Look, it's I think the the good thing here is that if Forrest is silly enough to get rid of him, there would be a not just Palace, there'd be a queue of Premier League clubs that would I think would be thinking, okay, well he's probably better than the guy we've got in charge. Let's just have a little word with him. So I I, I do think though, I mean I, I I think it's ridiculous. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. But one win in nine. If you have got um, a chairman who's getting nervous about it, and Cookie's obviously spoken to someone at the club who said, well, he is a little bit under pressure. Look, there's, there's Everton at home, Fulham away, Wolves away, next three. They're, they're three key games, I think, just to kind of let you know everybody know, look, don't be ridiculous about this. Because if they lost all three, then he, he obviously would be under pressure. But even if you look at the table now, there's still such a gap that they're not going down this year, Forrest. They're really not. So what does the Forest owner expect? If he expects them to be top eight, then that's totally unrealistic and he's probably better off out of it anyway. It, it's, this is a Forest side that a couple of decades has been out the Premier League, survived last season, go, will finish, I believe, sort of top half of the bottom half and he will organically evolve. And if he doesn't want that, then be careful what you wish for. Yep, absolutely. As for Everton, they had been okay. Um, actually did quite well away from home, didn't they, at Crystal Palace before Manchester United's uh, visit last weekend. Many expected it to, to be a bare pit atmosphere. It sort of was before kickoff. It was just didn't happen during the game. Um, it, it was, I just, the Garnacho thing just killed the whole thing, didn't it, really, for them? And actually, you know, Everton weren't that bad. They had a lot of chances. Manchester United took their chances. Everton had some chances didn't take their chances. But, I mean, that's been the story of their season so far. I mean, do you think that they... I mentioned last week that they're they're on the cusp. They need to keep picking up points because their average points is 1.12 per game. That will get them 34 over the course of the season. They need to make sure um, that they... If they do end up um, getting 34... 35, that that, that that is what they achieve rather than at this moment in time to sort of dipping underneath that that level because any dip under that level, they'll be relegated. Yeah, especially with the form of, of Luton. I mean, we're going to talk about Burnley and Sheffield United in a minute. I, I think it's difficult to make a case for those two staying up, but Luton do seem to have a little bit more um, about them. So I, I think Sean Dyche is going to be keen for Everton to get back to winning ways as soon as possible. Actually, their away form, not not just that game at Palace, but their away form this season has been pretty good. It's at Goodison Park where they've struggled to to pick up yes. points, which obviously is not the not the norm. So um, I think this is a, this is a difficult game to call, um, to be honest. And I think the atmosphere at the City Ground, because Forest fans are going to react to the the stories that Cooper's under pressure. Everton fans have got their own agendas. I think it's going to be a bit of a a hotbed on, on Saturday at the City Ground. Yeah, it'd be a good game. It's a good time for a game as well. You know, those 5.30s usually generate a really good atmosphere, especially when it's freezing cold like it is at the moment uh, where everyone just gets all wrapped up and has a couple of beers beforehand just to get them in the mood. Um, Burnley against Sheffield United. Uh, Talksport 2 on Saturday. No sacking so far in the Premier League this season, but is this the first El Sakiko of the season? Hard to see either manager surviving if they have a defeat here. The one thing that's saving Sheffield United's boss at the moment is, is the fact that there's so much uncertainty about the ownership situation because there's so much uncertainty about the ownership situation. They probably can't afford or don't want to be in a position to sack him because if they're trying to sell the club, the new owners will probably want to bring their own man in anyway. Yeah, and I think also the reaction from the fans when we were reporting about Chris Wilder possibly coming back, not that they were anti-Wilder, but I think Paul Heckingbottom has a lot of credit in the bank with Sheffield United fans because of what he did in terms of taking them into the Premier League. They know that it's a, 
a difficult situation with the fact the club is up for sale and therefore the owner doesn't want to invest. However, again, there were just one or two murmurings after their defeat last time out that maybe when it comes to Premier League management, Heckingbottom is being found out. I think fans only tolerate losing for so long, even if they know that circumstances are difficult, they need to see a little bit more. Okay, uh, let's get stuck into a busy Sunday now, starting with a difficult away trip from Spurs in Manchester. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Yes, welcome to Manchester. Um, it never rains, but it pours for Spurs, which is quite apt, seeing as they're coming here to Manchester. By the way, uh, it's minus four here in Manchester today. Um, it is absolutely Baltic. <laughs> it's so cold up here. Um, Benton Curl returns after a long layoff, wiped out by Mackie, Matty Cash. He's going to miss three months. Unbelievable. I thought it was a terrible challenge at the time. Um, but, um, yeah, the referee didn't deem it to be worthy of anything more than a yellow card. Um, I know that it was sort of, sort of some weird calls in midweek for someone to be retrospectively banned for that challenge, which is ridiculous. That never happens, nor should it. It, you know, it's it's one of those things, sadly, in the game. I did think it was wrong of Matt Cash. Should have been dealt with better, I think, at the time, because uh, he was it was it was a deliberate act to try and sort of make his mark on a player and a player who was who who does dictate the game for Spurs. So I don't think that was right. Um, so what happens with Spurs now? Because how do you go and approach this game, Scott? Bearing in mind that if you go and play Angebor at Manchester City, you might well get um, well, you might you, you might get those Ange balls cooked. Absolutely. Well, this is the biggest test for Ange Ball, isn't it? You know, it's all very well saying when when you sort of started well against Chelsea, but Chelsea, to be fair to them, came back 11 v 11, gone down to nine men. We're going to play this kamikaze way. If we go down to five players, this is the way we're going to play. This is what we do. This is my style. Well, a lot of players out at the Etihad against the best team in the world. Good luck with that one. So I'm fascinated to see exactly how the style is going to be. Because they haven't got the high line. They haven't even got centre-backs. Or uh, is, is this Romero back uh, for this particular game? 
No. Um, but I think you haven't got Van de Ven with the pace that he's got. You haven't got Madison trying to control the game and take the pressure off his defenders. You're going to be playing Ange Ball here. I think this could be three or four for City. Yeah, I think uh, Ray Parlis on the breakfast show on Friday morning, 4-1 to uh, Manchester City. You can sort of wow. see that Spurs will start quickly, get maybe get a goal or whatever, because they do seem to start quickly. They keep scoring goals first, and then they end up conceding a load after that. I mean, that just seems to be the way that Spurs are at this moment in time. Um, look, I mean, I think every Spurs fan you spoke to after they went top of the table in October would turn around and sort of refute the fact that they had an easy start to the season. But are they getting found out now the harder fixtures are coming their way, Crook? I think it's hard to say that because of the number of absentees. You know, Benton Kerr going off totally changed the game against Villa at the weekend. They were in control of that game, particularly in midfield. Villa were all over the place. And and you're right, I thought it was a horrible tackle um, from Matty Cash and, and one that I would be an advocate for retrospective action for because he knew exactly what he was doing. Obviously, I've lost Madison. He was it was key man. Van der Ven settled in seamlessly to the Premier League. So I think there, there have been mitigating factors. It would have been interesting to see how those more difficult fixtures would have played out had they have had a full team available. We won't know, but I do wonder if Postacoglu maybe needs to sacrifice his principles just to stay in this game for as long as possible. Um, speaking of uh, winning the league... Uh, which is certainly possible for them a, a month ago. Um, are Manchester City still cl- uh, f- clear favourites to win it or have Arsenal given them something to think about? Liverpool given them something to think about? It's all tightened up odds-wise over the last couple of uh, days, Scott. We, we went for a title race, I think. I think we're in for a proper one this year. I mean, that's what I want for Christmas. That's what I want for Christmas. Absolutely. And and you know what? When you think about last season, don't forget it got to the March international break where there was a possibility of nine teams that could have gone down and Arsenal were still above Manchester City and, and then they kind of imploded. What we want, You were thanking Arsenal, weren't you? You were like, you know, thank God. Absolutely. Imagine if Arsenal hadn't have been Arsenal last season. What would we have done for the Premier League season? So now Arsenal are joined by Liverpool. Maybe we should be thanking Liverpool as well for for getting involved because this is what we want. What listen, I don't actually mind if Man City win the win the title year in year out as long as it goes right to the wire and you've got a really good season over the whole season. How it ends, I actually don't really care. But what I want to see is a really good season up until the very last game, and hopefully Liverpool are part of that. But I still, you know, go along the, the theory that. Manchester City know what to do. I've said, you know, at the start of the season, the other boys, if they are going to win the title, it's the first half that they need to get a healthy gap. I think if Arsenal win a healthy gap now, I'd probably fancy them to go on and win the title, but they didn't last season. But we'll we'll wait and see how it goes. City are still favourites for me. Uh, They were a bit sloppy in midweek, weren't they? They were 2-0 down, came back. Foden's goal was terrific. Doku was the difference maker off the bench. Arguably their best player this season so far. I don't know what that says about uh, Jack Grealish. But although, I think they're going to require their squad, especially in the latter half of the season. So it's not worth getting over sort of overawed by that and overreacting and go, oh God, Jack's finished because Doku's playing well. Doku can play both sides. Jack can play a variety of different roles. Let's just see what happens over the course of the next uh, few weeks and months as long as he's playing on a regular basis. That's good for for England. Uh, Let's talk about Chelsea against Brighton. Um, Okay, Crook, uh, now your colours to the mast here, please. Which Brighton player is going to play so well at the weekend that Chelsea spend over £100 million on him in January? (laughs) Evan Ferguson, although I think it might take more than £100 million uh, to get him away from uh, from the Amex. What a goal he scored against Forest last week. And what a week it's been for Brighton. 
Roberto De Zerbi, very emotional after they won at the city ground. Didn't go down well, uh, I'm told, with Steve Cooper and his coaching staff, the exuberant nature of the celebrations. But I think he feels, like Ange Postacoglu, they've been dealt a really rough hand when it comes to injuries. I think they've got 10 or 11 players unavailable. They've gone to Forest and they've come from behind to win. They've gone to Greece and they've beat like Athens to secure a place in the knockout stages of the Europa League. He's doing a terrific job under very difficult circumstances. And I think they'll fancy their chances at Stamford Bridge. <laughs> There's a shock. Um, um, a lot of Chelsea fans questioning Enzo Fernandez and the amount of money that Chelsea have paid for him, Scott. Is there a problem here in that because Chelsea have bought so many young players with a lot of potential, because the price tag has been so high, everybody expects these guys to deliver immediately and that was never going to happen on a consistent mm. basis. Absolutely. I've gone on record many times saying that, you know, the, the, the policy of buying so many foreign players that are young and not used to the Premier League of the future and not the here and now is, was a, a wrong one. I, I agree. You buy for the future. And I think Enzo Fernandez, Sam, I've seen him enough. He's a really good player. He's technically brilliant. And I think if he would come into an already slick side, say like a, a City or even an Arsenal or Liverpool, I think the numbers would be a lot better. I think at times, he's, he, last season, he was carrying the team. So his numbers are not good. He needs to try and step it up as much as possible. But we've been saying that for Chelsea for the last 18 months, haven't we? And look, I just think it was really disappointing what happened at St. James's Park in that second half. Because I've, I saw even when results weren't going well, I saw performances potential there with, with the team. And after obviously what we saw at Spurs, what we saw at Man City, for them to go and put in that second half performance, I think was really disappointing. And I'm not surprised Posh came out as hard as he did. They were dreadful. They were. It was. It was dreadful. It was. It was really poor performance. And there was a few players that got shown up during that game. It just. They just weren't on the money, and they sort of wilted in that atmosphere. And if you're going to play for a club like Chelsea, you want to be challenging and have to be challenging, really, because <laughs> the way that the model works. And listen, yeah, Chelsea have got a bit of an issue, I think, in terms of the way that they that they've been financed and how they've been sort of bought out and the aims of the people that have bought them out. Because ultimately, this is a this is an entity that does not have the the history of uh, and 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 luster of Manchester United. They haven't won twenty Premier League titles. They haven't got the reach of Manchester United yet. They may well have the sort of idea of uh, you know Peter Kenyon. I remember said paint the world blue back in you know 2003. But in Chelsea, have picked up a lot more fans, and they've done a lot of great work, and they've won Champions Leagues, and they've won leagues over that period. But unless you keep winning, you're not going to develop that heritage. And Chelsea need to spread their wings. If this this huge buyout, this you know, there is a bit of concern that it's more of a leverage buyout more than anything else. By the way, they these are investors that want a return on their investment. They don't. They're not here just for for a bit of a play around. They want to get a return. So I, I'm a bit concerned about the whole the whole thing is not really clicking into gear really and. I don't know. I'm a bit worried about what happens in the future, to be honest with you, with this uh, with, with this whole thing. Because Chelsea not only going to find themselves in trouble with a points deduction or, or worse or whatever, but they, you know, I'm not sure about the finances that, that hold it up. If there was a if there was a worldwide financial crash at this moment in time, I think Chelsea would be one of the most vulnerable clubs to it. Do you know the other issue you've got? And, and actually, you know, this talks about spending staggering amounts of money again. We know that they're keen on Victor Osimhen. We know they might even try and sign him in January. But if you're Osimhen now, you're not a kid. Um, so therefore, you want to 
go, I think, and join a club that are in a position here and now to challenge for trophies. You don't need to go to Chelsea financially because you're going to get financially rewarded wherever you go. They haven't got that aura, that history that you've mentioned about with the likes of Manchester United. If you're Aussie men, what's the draw to join Chelsea at this moment in time? It's only money, isn't it? It's only it's only the most money or, you know... But he's already turned down Saudi Arabia, so we know that he's not money motivated. No, what I would say is, I, I think with, with Chelsea, they bought a lot of good players, and they, but they went way too far and, and they're still trying to deal with what happened in that first and second transfer window. But with Poch, I don't think in terms of in the middle of the midfield or or the middle third, they have a massive problem. You can't spend almost a billion pounds and not have a world-class striker or goalkeeper. If they bring in Victor Osman, look, no one saw Tottenham having the start they had and, and they were relying on very much on too many players. I think Chelsea have a better squad, uh, certainly a deeper squad. I think if Osman was to be convinced to go to Chelsea, I think he would make a massive difference to sticking the ball in the back of the net. I really do. And then we'd be seeing Chelsea up there. And also... Hold on, hold on. Hold on. Are you saying he would be better than Vic, uh, Nicholas Jackson, your toy boy? Of course he'd be better than <laughs> Nicholas Jackson. I, I'm, I believe there's a lot of potential in Nicholas Jackson, but that's what I'm talking about, potential. And that's what Chelsea have done far too much with so many players. They need to buy ready-made players. And if you've got someone, and it might be Christopher Nkunku, who can come back in and score the goals. Listen, I, I know that little dig there was, you know, probably prompted by producer Jez, who I love dearly. <laughs> it, does, it does have it in bold here. Can we have Scott's weekly defence of Nicholas Jackson, please? Absolutely. We and should have a jingle come, listen, for that, really. I've 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 persuaded Jez on Darwin Nunez. He's a Nunez yeah, fan yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We win him over. I'll win him over with Nicholas Jackson. But look, if you can get a Victor Osman, I don't think there's a lot of clubs around the world that'd be willing to pay what Napoli would want. So if he was wanting to leave and he's not happy there, this would be the great get out. Okay, uh, we'll see what happens. Good uh, Chelsea pitch. Brighton. Thank is, you. Uh... I struggled there. <laughs> Did your best. In fact, have you ever thought about going into politics? Um, <laughs> right. Uh, Game Day Live is back. 2.30 Saturday. Adrian Durham, Scott Minto, Ray Parler on your radio, including the FA Cup second round. All the goals they're going from the Premier League and the EFL as well. Uh, the game between Burnley and Sheffield United is live on Talk Sport 2 uh, this weekend. Uh, I'm going to go to um, a game in the Championship on Saturday, 12.30 uh, which is also live on TalkSport, uh, which is West Bromwich Albion against Leicester City at the top of that uh, particular table. Looking forward to that. Um, and we've got Newcastle Manchester United at 8 o'clock on Saturday night as well. Sunday session with Adrian. I'm going to the FA Cup, so uh, Adrian's going to do uh, round the grounds on Sunday as well. And then next midweek, we've got loads and loads of action for you from the Premier League as well. So we'll have a podcast on Sunday looking ahead to all that. Scotty, thank you very much. Uh, Crookie. Thank you very much as well. Um, Crook, well done. You managed to get yourself uh, on the score sheet today and not throw away the lead. That's brilliant. Well done. Um, <laughs> we'll see you. We'll see you next time. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com 
18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply.